Hello and welcome to the Master Spiff Podcast, a podcast started with master students taking a spiritual formation course, which some affectionately dubbed Master Spiff. I am Dr. Jeff Fisher, professor of theology at Kuiper College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and host of this podcast dedicated to discussing books about discipleship and spiritual formation. Each week we hear from people in Christian ministry or training for ministry share their thoughts on a book they've recently read. This is episode 2.7, and I have with me two more people who've read some uh, incredible and fascinating books, and I'll let them introduce themselves and say uh, which book they've chosen to read this time. My name is Andy Schultz. Uh, I'm a worship director at Faith Church in Highland, Indiana, and I have read the book Radical by David Platt. And my name is Andrew Earnshaw. I am the director of U.S. ministry over at Bible League International, um, which works to equip churches around the world and provide Bibles for people. And I'm currently in the Kuiper uh, Masters of Ministry program, and I chose the book Simple Church by Tom Rayner and Eric Geiger, I think is how you say his name. Yeah, yeah. Good, thanks. So, Andrew, I think this was the number one pick. There's three people who read Simple Church. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not unique here. <laughs> <laughs> Although, all, so far, everyone has said it's a book that all of us should be reading. So yeah, you're, you're, you're ahead uh, by having read it already from the rest of the <laughs> Good. Uh, so, Good. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, why you picked the book that you picked. So either one of you can, can share on, uh, on why you picked what you picked. Um, well, I picked Simple Church because I am not, my mind is really abstract. I like to think in the abstract. I don't like a lot of rules. Um, <laughs> and so I would normally gravitate towards a more spiritual type of book. And I and I really appreciate uh, the discipleship class that I'm taking right now because it's kind of loose. Um, but in that, I usually miss out on the practical and I need the practical more mm. sometimes than than the way that my brain works. And so I, when you had mentioned that the book was really practical, that's what my thought was. And it was also given to me uh, when I became a deacon a couple uh, years ago. Oh, okay. And, you know, I've never been a very good listener uh, or a rule follower, so I didn't read it at the time. <laughs> uh, but now is a great chance to read it. So yeah, I appreciated it. Even though it's a requirement for your class, like somehow. <laughs> A rule following thing. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Good. I'm getting there. I'm I'm doing all right now. So Good. yeah. Well, and I took a I took a list of books that uh, were on that that we were given, and I, I handed it to someone that I know that just graduated, uh, that just recently uh, finished up seminary, and I said, "Hey, have you read any of these books? And what do you think about them? And what do you think will speak to me? You know me really well, and I've I've been told by someone along the way in my life that I I trust is prophetic. That, I, that I'm a reformer. That's what I'm always told mm -hmm. is that I'm a reformer, mm -hmm. someone that likes to blow things up and start over and say, no, it's all wrong and scrap it. And so therefore that's how I landed on Radical uh, by David Platt. So we'll see if that actually is the case. I feel like his proposal is radically different, especially mm -hmm. uh, as we kind of go along here, sort of the critique of the American style of church. Uh, right. And I do, I would definitely say this is a, even, even though he himself, and what's really interesting is if you read the back cover of this book, he clearly didn't write his own introduction. Uh, the publisher did. 
And he, it says, David Platt is the pastor of the church at Brook Hills, a 4,000-member congregation yep. in Birmingham. Well, he would tell you having a big congregation like that isn't necessarily a good thing. So I just think that's funny that the publisher adds that as a as a resume yeah. piece. And he yeah. would probably just blow all that up and say, we're doing this all wrong. There's a, there's a yeah, big irony there. <laughs> yeah. And so have either of you read the other one's book? Have, have you, Andy, have you read Simple Church? No, I haven't. Read Radical? Okay. So this should be a really good conversation. I've read both of these books, although it's been a while since I read Simple Church, um, though I've heard a couple podcast episodes about it now. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting because I think there's going to be a lot of similarity, but kind of coming at these from different angles. Um, so that'll be interesting. Uh, so the next question I have for each of you is, what's the title about? Like, why did they, why do they call this Simple Church? And why did Platt you know, call this Radical? What, what are they getting at? And I can't remember if both of them have subtitles or not, but if there's a subtitle, um, yeah, what's what's in the title? What's in the subtitle? Yeah, uh, so Simple Church, um, there is a little heading. Actually, I didn't notice it until you just said something about it, and then I looked and I saw that there was one. <laughs> it says, Returning to God's Process for Making Disciples. And um, the thing with the title is that church has gotten complicated. And people are doing a bunch of different things, but it looks a lot like the culture where if you're not earning your paycheck uh, by being busy, basically, you're not doing enough. And how we need to get back to simplicity. And um, I think it's a, a great title for for the book. It's it's simple, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Simple, but not easy. Correct. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And radical is... It's funny. It, it says radical taking back your faith from the American dream. Well, then it sounds like you're going to be on this radical, radically different path. Uh, it's not really radical. What I think what Platt is trying to say is that uh, it's radical compared to what you might know as Christianity, what you might know as faith and what we call church. Uh, but it's not necessarily radical when you compare that with the actual uh, word of the gospel. And so mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, it's kind of a funny title in that way. Yeah, but both of them are really kind of getting the, getting at this, getting back to a previous, simpler, uh, rooted form of discipleship, of formation, of church. Yeah, both of them are kind of getting at that same angle. Mm -hmm. um, so how do these authors get you into the book? Like, what how, what's the hook? What's the what's the pull you in? Why Why you need to read another book on this topic? Why they were justified in writing a book on this topic? Um, how do they how do they get you to, uh, to to take time to process this book? What are they doing with it? Well, Platt uh, right away tells you that he feels tension. You know, I talked mm -hmm. about how the publisher said, "Hey, mm -hmm. he's got this four thousand member congregation," and he immediately, you know, two pages into the book is saying, "Look, it's not it, what I do here as church is really not what what you know Jesus would turn crowds away." <laughs> with radical statements and say, well, if you're not willing to drink from this cup and bear this cross, then you're not ready to come right. with me. And the crowd would go from big and shrink down to just a couple devoted people. Uh, and yet he's preaching to 4,000 people, you know, every week. So I think that that hooks you in immediately to say, okay, this guy is thinking way different because of course the metric that, that we might measure church in some, sometimes uh, now is that are, do we have enough people coming through the door? Do we have enough money to stay open? And these are these are metrics that he's basically saying aren't really doing anything for the gospel. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In line with what you just said, Andy, you know, it, we, we've lost our focus in a lot of ways. And this isn't in the beginning of the book, but it's partway through uh, the book. And it talks about focus, like radical focus and don't be a pack rat. And one of the examples that he used was Hezekiah and that Hezekiah took the bronze snake that Moses lifted up and people were worshiping that thing and he shattered it. And it's like, wow, that, that would have been pretty crazy for him to do because this is like, and it's, you think it's like from God, right? And so why wouldn't you want to keep that? But we've gotten so off track and, and so unfocused. And he shares, you know, the, the authors share two churches side by side. And one is the typical church running a lot of programs, full calendar, you know, three, four services a week and, and a million things in between. And then one that is just focused on an easy purpose and process, which are the same things in his, uh, in their minds. So that's really where it's like, I wanted, you want to know more about it because it's like, I don't want to just do stuff for the sake of doing stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Keeping busy to keep busy and making it look like we're doing ministry, but all we're doing is having people run around and yeah, not really moving them through that process of growth and discipleship. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And Um, thematically, Platt keeps bringing us back to looking out at his own parking lot full of, you know, at the church and and the millions and millions and millions of dollars that are devoted to building large buildings and the amount of cars that are in the parking lot, you know, and again, it's just, it's just for the sake of doing church. And I think, so now I'm already seeing a connection here uh, between these two authors. Yeah. Well, and it, it is helpful to note that Platt is a pastor of a church of thousands. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and, and Rainer and Geiger, I mean, they're not opposed to large churches, but when large churches become so complicated or so complex that they're basically cluttered, then that's really what de- derails us. Um, and same with Platt. I mean, he's not necessarily going to say, don't have a nice car, <laughs> but he is going to say, like, don't let those things, you know, take your focus away and everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I, again, I think there's a lot of similarity and overlap in these books. Um, either of them have stories. I mean, you just shared one about the parking lot. Other stories um, that really kind of resonated with you or illustrated a point really well, um, something that kind of makes the book come alive. Yeah, at the end of uh, Platt's book, and we can talk about this later, he has a f- sort of a five-step program essentially mm. to get to radically changing your life in one year. Um, and in that, he gives an illustration about what this ra- what this radical change might look like. Uh, the example is from someone who had traveled to South Korea, was staying in a hotel, and at four o'clock in the morning, the hotel happened to be located next to a sports stadium. And at four o'clock in the morning, the guy in the hotel was awoken by the sound of screaming people cheering loudly at this stadium at four o'clock in the morning. And he, you know, rubs his eyes. He's like, what on earth? What kind of sport is happening at 4 a.m. here? And goes down, I think, and asks, asks someone at the hotel, you know, what is happening over there at that stadium? And they said, oh, that's not a sporting event. That's a church service. Those people were gathered for prayer. And uh, not only the time being radical, but also the energy and the enthusiasm. Uh, you know, he talks a little bit about 
you know, people that are that are maybe in underground churches, maybe in Asia, that are that are they're having to pray out, uh, you know, of course in secret, but also with this incredible energy and fervor that they that that we don't have, we don't seem to have when we gather and pray, all because the Savior, you know, of, uh, that is Jesus, means so much more to people that didn't grow up in it and, and aren't mm-hmm. comfortable where church is just a thing that we do but rather it is your life. It is everything to you. Uh, a church in Africa, a church in China that, that is just thankful that every day they can gather, that they can worship, that they can pray uh, in that way. Thank you for, it's almost like literally thanking for daily bread. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, again, we might have a bloated lifestyle where we don't really think much about the food that we're going to eat daily. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that really like our culturally conditioned Christianity and what we kind of really take for granted of all of those things. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's, uh, you know, kind of, kind of like what Andy was saying, you know, I, I didn't see there's, there's stories of churches that these guys have visited and what they've seen. The examples that stood out to me, you know, one being the one of Hezekiah was just an interesting Mm -hmm. tie in. Um, but they also use Jesus, going into the temple and clearing it out, you know, mm. about how, how it's just gotten, you know, people just kept on bringing stuff in and blocking the way for other people to get in. And some of the examples and analogies they use were like, I laughed out loud. I was reading this on a plane and I started laughing, <laughs> you know, it's like, it just, it's like he said, you know, churches can be fancy coffins, you know, busyness mm. is a disguise for lack of life. And uh, people want to look busy, just like what I said earlier, just to justify their time. Mm -hmm. And another thing that he said was, um, you know, they gave the example of congestion. Like nobody loves, nobody likes congestion. You get a cold and you're feeling, you feel it in your chest and, and, you know, you, you might have it in your head and nobody likes that. And he said, if your members aren't moving, if they're not growing, they're just congestion in the church. And it's like, oh man, <laughs> you know, that's, that's so much of the church, you know what I mean? And it's like, that's, you know, I left my uh, faith for a little while because it just seemed to be, that's the norm is like, we just go here and we just do our thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's no authenticity it, or it seems like it, and now I'm a little, I, I see it more and more, it's subtle, but you know, when you're born into that culture and you just keep on going, it's really hard to get out of that. Even if you have some sort of spiritual experience or some experience of God, it's it's hard to give up what you know for something else, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And it's and it's hard for churches who are composed of people to, to let go of things that have happened, you know, programs or whatever that have serve the church for long periods of time. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know if they use clutter as the language there, but um, I can't remember what you said with the congestion. Uh, congestion, yeah. The congestion, it's easy for things to get congested or clogged um, because we don't we don't really want to get rid of things that were valuable to us in the past. Um, yeah, that's good. Are there other things that um, either of your books address of like, kind of common misperceptions or uh, I use the, in the question, I use the word myths, like things that we might think are true, but the further you reflect upon them, you're like, actually, this probably isn't 
the best way or the right way or the biblical way or whatever? Like, are, are, are there things that they really address to help correct some of our understanding about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a, a faithful church member? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just, some of the, some of the notes that I had here about, you know, so people might see the church and the staleness of the church and the congestion, you know, people not growing and it would make perfect logical sense to add programs <laughs> to bring people in, you know? And I think mm -hmm. about like, you know, honestly, so I don't go to faith church, the church that Andy's at, but, um, they run celebrate recovery and I've been mm -hmm. brought into faith church a lot of times because of that program. And, and there's other programs that I'm aware of that that faith does that that are good that bring people into the church, um, and so like if I was planting a church, I would want to run all these things, right? <laughs> it would make it would make sense. I'd like let's bring people in no matter how we do that. And this whole book is is um, kind of counter to that, where it's like, well, you can run things, but if they don't if they don't support your process, and you don't just try to wedge something into the process just to say that it's part of the process but if if you know it's it's not filtering you to the next step of your growth in god somehow and it you know the vision gets really hazy and mm -hmm. people just start to forget what the whole point of everything is and they use the term ministry schizophrenia happens when churches you know forget what their point is about and leadership you know starts to lose it. And so it's contrary to what, um, to what the normal, even to, to what I would think, you know, if I just planted a church, it's like, let's get people in here right. running programs. Um, and so it's, it's different. And there's another book I've read, actually another book called the four disciplines of execution, which is a business book. Um, and it sounded really boring, but I heard a speaker talk about it and it was, it was actually a fantastic book. And it says, have one wildly important goal and everything else is just kind of noise. It's mm -hmm. just stuff you have to do, but you have mm -hmm. one wildly important goal and here's how you do it. And this book and that book are like, if you're in ministry, those two books would be essential reads. Yeah. They parallel each other. Yeah. Yeah, I think they, they talk about in Simple Church this idea of alignment, right? Like everything you do needs to align with that one goal, that one purpose. Um, and if it doesn't, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? That's right. Yeah. yeah. I think Platt really goes after, uh, you talk about myth, like like the, the, the mindset of an American Christian that my faith is my own. And, mm. I, you know, we live in a country where there's religious pluralism. You know, I can f practice the faith I do and we just leave each other alone. And, you know, it talks about, again, how our, our faith is a tied to other people, you know, as well. But but ultimately this, you know, we reject universalism. So we might be Christian people that say, well, of course, we believe that Jesus is the is the way that right. other religious traditions aren't worshiping the same God. So we reject universalism intellectually, but practically, says Platt, they may end up leading universalistic lives. Hmm. They claim Christ is necessary for salvation, yet they live their Christianity in silence as if people around them in the world will indeed be okay in the end without Christ, which is really an eye-opening thing to read. Right. Uh, he goes on, he says, they, there are people all over the world standing guilty before a holy God, and that is the very reason they need the gospel. 
and we'll explain it away, you know, as Christians, we'll say, but but if they didn't know, if they didn't know, God surely would save right. them, right? And Platt says, no, mm-hmm. read this scripture, right. get over there and do something about it. Uh, so I just really appreciated kind of going after that idea because I I'm just as complacent, you know, I can I can be the same way. And and I think he calls that 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 chapter, there is no plan B. Mm. You know, plan mm-hmm. A is you and you go, and that is the only way to do right. it. So right. Yeah. Mm. That's, good. That's good. That's really good. Challenging and ch- charge to us and reminder to us as Christians, as disciples. Yeah. I mean, you've already shared some of this already, but are, are there ways that your books really intersect with your own life and ministry? Um, ways that this is this was, uh, you know, maybe even something that you've already started applying, or you're like, this is what I'm going to do with this, uh, having read it in these few moments here. I can I can tell you that uh, at the end of this book, uh, Platt gives you what he calls the radical experiment. It's five steps to take in a year, and I've actually included. Um, some of this and in, in, in brought it into my uh, transformation plan as All part right. of the class, which yes. is great. Uh, so one of the, you know, it's a step one, pray for the entire world kind of brings mm. in, you know, again, just like we said, having a heart and allowing God to use that then to move you. Uh, two is read through the entire word in a year, which is aggressive, you know, to mm-hmm. get through uh, that much. And that's part of the thing I've gotten. I, I've, you know, I've read, I feel like I've read a, b- a bulk of the Bible at some point in my life, but now I'm going to do it in a concentrated manner so that it speaks to me in, in, in where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's part of that. And then number three is sacrifice your money for a mm-hmm. specific purpose. You know, again, uh, he, he calls you to live on less, live more simply so that you have more margin, more, more to do with more of your own resource um, to take, to take care of the poor and to, to do mission, give to mission uh, for spend your time in another context. And that's that's very personal now because I have a friend who I work with here uh, who's recently announced that he is he and his family, two small children, he and his wife, um, she's leaving her job. He's going to leave his job. He's going to pull they're going to pull their kids out of school and they are moving to Nicaragua at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, which is amazing because here I am reading that like, how do I spend time? That's not realistic. I can't spend time in another context. And I and then days later. A friend and coworker says, "Well, we're off to Nicaragua." Yeah. Oh, well, I I guess I could do it. If it I is really, possible. It yeah. is possible. Uh, so I I love that that's happening in parallel. And then finally, it says, "Commit your life to a multiplying community," mm-hmm. um, because again, if we're not making disciples actively, then you know, essentially, what are we doing? So that's been very personally very personal to me now to see someone else take that leap. And so now it's yeah, just trying to integrate that plan into my own life. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, they they emphasize the book is written very simply too, and something that you can remember it it starts with clarity and how you need to kind of get a blueprint together. You need to figure out what it looks like the discipleship making process mm-hmm. goes to movement, which is we want people to move from this step to this step alignment, which. We want to make sure everything goes into that goal and then focus. And focus for me is the thing that I needed to read most about. Um, you know, I've been, I've, I've, I've struggled with ADD type of uh, mm-hmm. behavior in my life, you know, and my report card says it all the time, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and when I was a kid and they said it, 
eliminate don't be a pack rat. They talked about pack rats. And then they gave the example of Google and how revolutionary that was. Just a simple search engine without clogging mm -hmm. the thing up. And it was so much different from Yahoo that you go on there and you're reading a bunch of stuff and you think you need all that stuff. And uh, my wife is the same way. You know, I, she got rid of some high school notebooks that I basically <laughs> just doodles in a couple years ago. And I'm like, what? You know, you're throwing away my childhood over here. And right. she goes, when are you ever going to look at that stuff? What are you going to do with it? And and that's just the way I am. And as life gets busier and God is opening up doors and I've been praying for that, you know, like, God, like, I want to use my time efficiently. I don't want to waste time because I spend, you know, I'm looking at my screen time thing and it's, you know, three, four hours a day on the phone. It's like, this is such a waste of life. Mm -hmm. You know, God, please help me to, to not... <laughs> to not waste time. And, yeah. and so like when they talked about, you know, he gave the example of Paul and, you know, he wanted to be more like Christ. And, you know, that's, that's, they gave the example. I don't know what scripture it is, but, you know, I cast everything else off, you know, only, only Christ. And um, a focus, they said, focus is the commitment to abandon everything that falls outside of the ministry process. And it says, you know, if, Elimination doesn't occur. People spend hours of time attending programs that are not essential to your ministry's church ministry process. And my own church experience has been that way. It's like, you know, rather than making one thing really excellent, you know, we have a bunch of stuff and we're just talking about details that really don't matter all that much because people have just found kind of a social group and it, that's where it stays. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it, it's a, you know, less programs mean more excellence, less programs mean more energy, more money, more people, more impact. And that's something that I have to keep in mind in my own life because I like to just stay busy too, you know, but if it's not actually producing fruit, that's a wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I appreciate about uh, Faith Church, uh, the one of our models in growth in the last couple of years has been the enfolding of churches that might be either financially in rough shape or just want to do something different. In fact, the the Highland location that I that I work for uh, and am in, this is our church, and I love it. it. This place right here said, you know, ten years ago, like we need to do something radically different, and so phone calls were made, and suddenly a couple of years later, they are a part of Faith Church in this network, and part of those conversations was sort of the trimming the fat to say, mm. what are the programs that you have? Um, you know, this was a CRC church for CRC of Highland. What are some of the programs you have? And, you know, there's, and there, there's hesitancy. How, well, what about this? We need to keep this. We need to keep this. And they're like, actually, you don't. If you want to be right. be a part of us, we're going to have to cut it. And we, we've had the same unfolding story with our location in Munster, Indiana as well. And, and they're hard conversations. Yeah. They're really not easy. Uh, but I think ultimately we've seen that the fruit of that, that a simpler, more streamlined ministry um, you know, especially programs. So then, then when you do introduce things and say, we want, we want everyone to be a part of a discipleship group. Well, they're right. not already committed to 14 other things. Why can't I add another meeting to my week? You say, this is really important. Oh, well, I guess I have the margin now to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, just to continue on that, they, they gave an example of, um, man, I think it was Malachi. And just talking about, he was prophesying about how God, um, 
God doesn't want our mediocre. He doesn't mm. want he doesn't want our second, you know, you know, just leftovers, leftovers. Yeah. basically. And and he the you know the authors went on just to talk about how if if we if it gets so diluted it it really just becomes about that and so to really cut things is doing a service to everybody and it might feel unnatural and it might feel like oh boy we we have all this extra time they give example in the beginning of the book of two different churches and one the staff meeting was basically all about the calendar and just a jam-packed calendar and that feels right to everybody mm -hmm. you know it feels like I'm, I have worth because I have all these things going on in my life. I'm just so busy all the time, you know. Um, but really, you know, if if you do that, you lose you lose impact in ways. And even new things introduced. One one of the models that they kept coming back to was worship, like in a public context. If we're we're talking yeah. about the other book too, you know, yeah. worship in a public context, loving God loving others which is more of a small group and then loving the world that was one model they kept coming back to and that's service so public small group service you know going out and reaching people and um how when when that's done it's it's way more powerful and instead of introducing new programs and new special events filter them through what you already have going on. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to, you know, make it something about marriage rather than having another event or two events coming in, which take people out of their other things, filter it through what you already have going on, make it part of the worship service, make it part of the small groups and find a way to serve people in what you're already doing. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, yeah, that's really good advice. That's really good wisdom there. Um, so Andy, I have a question on your, from the Highland and other experiences or history that you may know, like were there some things that were helpful for people to kind of grasp onto this simplifying? Um, did you discover things that were like, I know this is hard and I know people want to keep the clutter. People want to be pack rats. Um, was there anything that like actually quote unquote worked uh, to help them move along to simplify things? Yeah. Uh, I, I think, uh, Boy, I think just casting a vision for what could be uh, when things are more simple would probably be a part of it. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I wasn't a part of many of those conversations, uh, right. but I, and I, in fact, I was not here at the Highland location right. when that conversation was going on. You know, I, when I think of things that maybe this church had been doing that it is no longer doing, you can still get a taste of that from other churches. Right. Uh, you know, a great example is uh, gems. You know, that's part of the a lot of the, the CRC churches participate in. Um, and then what's the what's the boys' version of that? I can't cadets. Cadets. Thank you. I'm sorry. Again, I'm I'm told hey, I, I grew up with cadets. I didn't grow up reformed. I didn't. You know, so like to me, this is all this is all new. Yes, cadets and right. gems. There are other churches in the area. In fact, one down the street that's a CRC church. I mean, three blocks away. Mm -hmm. that offers those programs and so it was kind of nice to say look we're just not going to keep doing those that's not part of faith's tradition uh but we still want to encourage you to be a part of them in fact partner with other churches and do those great programs and just said you know for us that's going to be you know that's going to be a strain for us to have that and you know and offer all of these things so it, it helps when you have a place to send but yeah. also 
um, you know, I, I can think of our, of our Munster, Indiana location, you know, there were, there, there was maybe a little bit of, um, I guess they were hesitant knowing that there was no longer going to be maybe a certain style of, um, you know, a co you know, community cupboard type of thing, you know, come in mm -hmm. and get, get food. And, but rather we just said, you know, what we can really do well is we can push this all to a central place that's off campus. And so we've actually partnered with an organization called Love Inc. To yeah. sort of now be that because faith had its own version of a pantry that we were doing and so actually partnering with this this church in munster then we were able to both say you know what we could just do this really well and they it was actually uh the wife of the pastor there that was a part of this loving so we had this new solution this new third option mm -hmm. where we said you know what, we're going to stop doing this let's just push everybody there they're going to do it way better than we do it and i think it was maybe just admitting that other people outside of faith church were going to do things better Mm -hmm. So just let us do what we can do and then go do what you need elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, and, and how, how much that really shows the strength of the church in partnering with other churches and other ministries, other organizations to be able to do that. And I mean, I think it really connects with the simple church of Love Inc. has one goal. They have one focus. Yes. They know what they say yes to and what they say no to. And so, you know, they're, they don't look the same as Highland Church or other churches. They don't need to, and each church doesn't need to look the same. I mean, Simple Church is not saying that every church is going to look the same. They're going to be different because they have a different context and different community that they're serving. So I think that's a really that's a really helpful concept of partnering with others. Yeah. And like you said, being willing to recognize that maybe ours isn't the best. Yes. <laughs> maybe yeah. we, you know, we can we can partner with others and have them be the the main ones who do this. Yeah. That's honestly that's like from from an outsider that feels called to be at the church that I'm at, I've always appreciated faith because I, I feel like, you know, what kind of security is that? That's that's a godly security, yeah, you know, the fact is. that they're not worried about competition, which is what the churches often, mm -hmm. you know, get involved in is like, oh, we don't want to send people away from our church, you know, and it's like, there was a, I remember, you know, they did a remake of the Miracle on 30, 34th Street or whatever that movie yeah. with Santa Claus is. Yeah. And and the Santa Claus started telling them to go, or this is, I don't remember what Christmas movie it was, but he would tell <laughs> people to go, hey, this store has it down the road. But then the popularity of the place actually grew because they appreciated the humility. Right. And they appreciated the Santa Claus that would tell them the truth. And it's like, you know, and it's a spiritual principle. It's like, don't get worried about about preserving. Give away, and yeah. God will bless you. You know, so I appreciate that about faith. Yeah, yeah, that's. Good. I, I'm sorry, this has turned into the uh, pro faith church hour. This is good. <laughs> this yeah. is. Uh, you this to Bob. <laughs> we're not a perfect church. I just want to also be very clear about yeah. that. <laughs> that's quite all right. Um, so, uh, is there anything else that that you either of you had that you wanted to make sure that got brought up from your book? That's like, here's an important point. I don't want. I want to make sure we don't uh, skip over this or lose this. Um, this is kind of our your last shot to include it on here. Yeah, I, I, I pre, you know, we're, we're talking about security and I think Platt hits this, it hits this hard too about personal security and just, again, reframes the idea of what it really means to be secure. Um, you know, what the great reward of the gospel is risking our lives to run for, you know, and, and just steps through the scripture and the martyrs and those that would suffer, mm -hmm. you know, just said, you know what, this is not going to be easy. 
and we are going to suffer in this walk uh, if we're really if we're really walking it out. And so I just appreciate that Platt ex did did a really good job just diving into the word, but also piecing together through stories and other testimonies. And he, and he actually weaves in letters that others have written to him along the way that have said, thank you for revealing this in my life. And here's what I'm doing any now that I'm living in this you guys radical way. On, on uh, so just, just really just saying like, you know that, what, um, the way Wilson's you look at your life and what the goals of it little, are like, might not be the not goals so polished, of what you're called which in the makes gospel. It, so which he, makes it more he does like, paint a very difficult feels like um, story, a picture for us to follow. But at the same time, you know, in MDiv is writing it. So it makes it really, makes it really easy to read. Which just is writing more accessible. That, you know, it's yeah. change is difficult, and that's how the author is really in the book. Like, is it is saying, yeah. you know, there's oh, yeah. six hundred thousand. It'd be this is a, uh, this is a bypass, you like know, heart surgeries about. each year, okay. and the doctors tell people, mm -hmm. you know, you have Same to change your lifestyle book. or you're going to uh, die, and ninety percent of them don't do it. Obviously, and doing that here, you know, this was a helpful read to me. It's a wonderful book easy simple to be able to read, to read like uh, this is what some it takes you know are a little it, it doesn't like, matter whether you you like the program or you uh, like the things that are going on becomes, uh, what is our ultimate goal getting at if our and ultimate goal is to make disciples that really genuinely love jesus and want to follow him then this is what needs to happen and the fact that it's recent um, to it can look different but it's a good framework for that and so um before the, COVID, yeah, this book you know, has it was a very practical, touch, but at the end of the book, they right said, now, no, <laughs> change is uh, hard. Um, some people <laughs> decide but, just to kill so yeah, their that, church and hard, do something it's different, still, it's or sometimes, uh, shows what we need, you know, as, it can happen slowly, or sometimes it's better just yeah. to do it all at once. Yeah. But Thanks, thank you both, rely on the Holy Spirit. And so, it's good to be reading other books about discerning the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's good to be talking about how to do that as a group and how needed that is. And when you read the book of Acts, you know, I'm always so struck by how they're talking about including the Gentiles and they throw out everything except for, hey, don't eat food, sacrifice the idols, stay away from sexual sin. And they boil it down to like three or four things out of the right. entire Old Testament. And it's right. like, and Jesus does it with love your neighbor and love God, right. you know? And sometimes we get so hung up on everything. And it's really not, you know, at the end of the day, Jesus wants relationship more than anything else. And um, that's what I appreciated about how the authors ended this. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word. Yeah. Um, so I'm, uh, I think we already know the answer to this, but you guys would recommend this, these books to your classmates and then maybe a follow up with that. Are there other people that you would recommend it to? Um, like, would it, would these be for everybody in the church? Would they be, are they more for like pastors? Um, who, who would benefit from reading these books? Yeah, I would absolutely recommend uh, radical. I, I, I think pastors should read it, uh, because, they have more influence than they realize, you know, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to the way that you preach the word. Uh, if, if you preach the word in a way that isn't inviting people into really changing their lives for the gospel, then you might be doing them a disservice. Mm -hmm. And I think Platt goes after that a little bit as well. And I've, I've actually gone and listened to some of his messages uh, as a result, you know, and I do see it. I, I think he, he is a high challenge 
preacher. Yes. You know, you walk away from his messages and you will feel like you got to get up and do something. Um, so yeah, I, I would absolutely recommend it. And I'd love it if pastors could take a look. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I'd, I'd recommend Simple Church as well. Um, I wish I would have read it years ago when my pastor uh, recommended it to me because I understand <laughs> why he recommended it. And he recommended it for the deacons and the elders. And it makes sense um, that any church leader should read this to get back to the main point of what the church is all about in the first place. And um, I think also, so I don't work full-time in a church. I work at a full, full-time in a, at a ministry and mm -hmm. there was so many applications for mm -hmm. how we run ministry. And, you know, it's, it's weird because we're in a place between the business world and church world but it would make sense. I would even recommend it to business leaders. Um, any Anybody that's trying to run something simple, you know, you can apply it in so many different contexts. Yeah. And um, so leaders in general, I would say is, uh, would, would benefit from reading this book. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I mean, especially when you said it parallels with the four disciplines book that you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. uh, I can see that like the focus, the streamlined process, that's, yeah, that's really, that's really an important way to do it. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you both for your time. Thanks for the reading that you've done on this and sharing your thoughts and reflection in this dialogue here. I appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate all the work that you did in, in preparing for this and, and sharing your thoughts. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you later and we'll hear again from others about books that we'll read in the future here. Blessings. Thank you very much.